Hey, 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 it's me, Katie here. Grab a notebook, add a cuppa, and join me in the Sociology Staff Room. Hello, and welcome to the Sociology Staff Room. I am really, really excited today because we've got a brilliant guest, um, someone that I've spoken to before. Um, doesn't need any introduction, but I will do. Uh, Dr. Prayer from Warwick University. Um, you may have seen her work or read her work already as sociology teachers. But first of all, um, I'm going to as we pre-discussed, I'm going to call you Maria rather than Dr. Pereira because you were happy for that. Um, Maria, first of all, do you mind telling me a little bit about yourself? For those people that have, may haven't heard of your work or or of, are not that familiar, um, just tell me a little bit about yourself. That'd be great. Yes, so uh, my name is Maria Dumar Pereira. Um, it means Maria of the Sea Pear Tree, if you're interested. It's a whole discussion there we could have about the sociology of names and, and how they work in different cultures. I'm a Portuguese. Um, I have a degree in sociology from um, as my undergraduate degree from the Portuguese University. And then when I was studying sociology, I got really, really interested in gender studies. So I then specialized in, in, in gender studies after that. Um, and have taught at different institutions in the UK and, and elsewhere, um, usually as a, a feminist scholar, as a feminist sociologist. So I sit at the intersections of sociology and gender studies. Um, and I'm really interested in doing ethnographic work, so doing participant observation and in, in all sorts of places. And the places that I'm most drawn to are places of learning and education. So I've done ethnographies in schools. So that's that. my first book was um, a study of how 14-year-olds in a school in Portugal negotiated gender and sexuality in their everyday interactions in the playground. Um, and then after that, I did some work in universities where I was interested in the kind of um, uh, covert sexism that we see in university corridors um, and university meetings, you know, those sorts of spaces that are meant to be meritocratic, but that we know uh, are not. So, yeah, so that's me. I, I teach um, at Warwick on, um, on gender, feminism, sexuality, but also increasingly I teach on issues around identity in contemporary societies, neoliberalism, because I notice it's, it's a topic that uh, students are really drawn to and that I think they benefit a lot from thinking critically about. So that's me in a nutshell. Mm, I know. Well, and also super enthusiastic about sociology as well. I know you've got Oh, absolutely. A <laughs> I love sociology. And then indeed, you know, Katie saw saw me give a talk to uh, students. I I used to be the open day person at Warwick, so I delivered our open day talks to seventeen year olds sixty three times. I counted, and and one of the the things I I always used to do in these talks, I still do today, is is open up with a couple of of quotes about how amazing sociology is and how how alive you feel when you study sociology and you start to notice the buzzing motion behind the seemingly solid world that's a quote from Anne Seller um, where and 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 it's one of the things I I used to love about my job is getting these 16 17 year olds in the room 
all, you know, bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and tell them about sociology and get them excited. And I used to consider I had been especially effective if parents would come to me at the end and say, I didn't think sociology was a good choice for my child, but you've convinced me. And I'm like, yes, convincing the parents is especially hard sometimes. So I'm such a sociology geek. I love sociology. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a fellow sociology geek, as you know. Um, so I'm going to touch on that, um, that sort of passion for sociology. I know that you're really passionate about it. I'm really passionate about it. So my question is, why is it so important for us to carry on growing sociology as a subject, not only A-level, but obviously hopefully into degree, or even not, you know, just pursuing that sociological inquiry? Why is it so important? Well, one one of the um, things that um, came out of my uh, ethnographic work with the fourteen year olds in the school was that um, well, I uh, they they knew from the start that I was studying them. I was very open about that. They knew I was writing a book. They got to read the book. We got to discuss the results even before I finished writing the book. Um, and one of the things that several of them said was that participating in a sociological study, i.e. sort of being put in a position where they were given a space to think collectively and critically about what they were doing on a day-to-day -day basis at school had changed their lives. And so these 14-year-olds, none of them really, maybe one or two, then went on to study social sciences and even to take sociology uh, in secondary school. But most of them, they've gone on to do other things. But they felt that at that age, to have that space to think critically about their lives had changed their lives because they had been able to actually change their behaviors, for example, in relation to bullying, in relation to, to how they interacted with others, how they saw themselves. And so I, I, I kind of think that with sociology, there's the question of why is it important to teach it as a discipline, as, as a degree? And, and uh, But more importantly for me than that is, to teach it as a life experience, as a life skill, as a way of being present in, in the world. And, and, and I think we've got young people at the moment in lots of countries that are very, very open to thinking about um, social injustice, about uh, inequalities, about how the world works. Um, I think sometimes social media um, uh, sparks that curiosity, but then um, sort of channels it into places that are not always the most um, effective, i.e. They, they, they then think they know a lot about the world because they saw something on social media, so now they're experts. And because and, they, they sort of think that mainstream media they're critical of, but social media somehow is more authentic. Um, so, so I love how social media has opened up their appetite to think critically about life. But at the same time, I think more than ever, they're coming in with um, a whole range of fixed views about the world that uh, having a space in school to unpack collectively with others rather than individually on a screen or with others through a screen is really, really crucial. Um, and so, and, 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 and this idea of co collectivity for me is really important because one of the things I have noticed change in the sociology students that we get at university is that they're less and less open to conversation and interaction with other students. When I started teaching 10, 15 years ago, 
students would get to know each other. You'd, as you were setting up your seminar, they'd be chatting to each other, they'd study together, and now they don't do that. They actually consume their education, I use that word critically, very individually, um, mm. in, in a very sort of lonely kind of utilitarian way. And I think sociology and a lot of, for example, feminist sociology that I use, it looks at how the personal is political, how the personal is collective, I think is such a helpful way of making them feel connected to other people, less lonely, less anxious. So I sort of see sociology as a discipline, as a way of looking at the world, but also as a way of understanding your relationship with other people and making you feel more connected to those around you. And that's so important in, at, in an age of great disconnection. Oh, definitely. I mean, I totally hear you. It was interesting when you said that point about that sort of individualism and how the students consume it, because I've, I've noticed that and I thought that was just me and I thought that's just me me getting older, you know. Um, I'm 43 now and so I'm thinking, well, you know, it was a long time ago when I was at school. Maybe it's just I'm feeling that disconnect to what it was like. Maybe I was like that when I was young. But ultimately, maybe there has been that change in, in education um, and how sort of information is consumed as you said you know people do it on the internet a lot more whereas before and actually I've responded to that by moving students around in the classroom so every half term mm. they have to sit next to someone different and so I always talk about becoming sociology friends uh, and it's not for behavior management it's purely to get talking to have those discussions yeah. so what can we do I mean obviously you should see students in the undergraduate level and onwards what can we do as A-level teachers to help prepare for that transition so say for example my students chosen I know actually got a couple of students that go since talking to you do want to go to Warwick and have a they are planning to apply uh, as part of the UK yeah yeah really they're really 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 enthused by you um and they're working very very hard to get those A grades but what can we do um what can I do as an A-level teacher to help prepare them for that transition it, it's funny because I would have given you very different answers maybe five years ago to what I would do now. If you'd asked me this five years ago, I would have probably focused, my, my, my brain would, would go to more academic issues. So what kind of skills could you give them that would be helpful? And I would have said, and I think that's still important to some extent, um, but it's not so much a priority I think now, but what I would have said five years ago would be that um, the, the some, uh, many of the students that we get um, at university, at Warwick, but also in other universities where I've taught, they come in um, really invested in an approach to studying and essay writing that is focused on what is the right answer, here is the right answer, have I got a good mark, rather than maybe stuff is complicated, maybe stuff is, you know, there's different angles. And I spent a lot of my time saying, I don't want oh. a neat, I want a clear essay, I want an essay that I can understand, but I don't want a neat essay with neat answers. I want you by the end to say, what, what throughout the essay to say, there is this and there is that and there is that. And then they'll say, oh yeah, but at the end I choose a side. No, 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 no. I want you at the end to say, well, actually, maybe these two opposing things may be happening at the same time, or maybe, you know, this is, um, uh, you could look at this in different ways. And, and, for, and, and sometimes I may want to look at it this way, and other times I may want to look at it that way. So I would have said, and I guess I still say today, that the more that they are used to um, messiness, complexity, you know, um, uh, things being, um, 
unclear um, and, 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 and contradictory and being able to, to represent that with, uh, instead of just flattening it to make it really simple and black and white and be able to take a side. So that was what I would have said without hesitation five years ago. Now I would say absolutely that, but also the biggest problem that we're finding now is even before you get to the assessment stage is at the point of participation. It's at the point of engagement. You know, the, as I said, the students come in, they don't speak to anyone, they listen and then they go. Sometimes they don't even come in. We're really facing an attendance crisis in universities at the moment. Um, we are, you know, a, a couple of years ago, we put on a sociology festival in the summer. Like we did amazing things. I tell you, I was so proud. Oh, of share, share one of the things. Share one of the things. Well, we did things like um, we did we did really cool things. Like we did like we spent a day in the nature on campus, thinking about in the environment and sociology of the environment, and you know, engaging with that natural space in lots of ways. We did a graffiti street art workshop with, with a sociology theme. We they got a, they someone offered like a portrait drawing lesson and and they could draw their favorite sociologist. So so just think oh, uh, I, we had I like love this idea. We, we we had little sorts of like pizza events and, and quizzes and things. It was really, really good. No one came. Oh and and and, and 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 when you asked them, oh, we did a like a bird watching thing around campus, but like looking at also the sociology of nature conservation. Anyway, but Almost no one came. In fact, the, the, most of the students that came were not sociology students. They were students from other departments. And when we asked sociology students why they didn't come, they all said, because we're so anxious. We're, we're nervous about going to campus. Of course, this was also, COVID was affecting this, but we're, we're nervous of meeting other people. We're, we're anxious. And so many of them would say, I've got an anxiety um, uh, condition. I've got anxiety problems. And one of the first things I do in my second year module, which is about identity, um, is that uh, I sort of encourage them to think about categories like anxiety, rather than thinking about them as, of course, you know, I think we should recognize anxiety and take it seriously and, you know, validate and all of that. But I encourage them to think about it not as um just an inevitable truth about themselves. I am an anxious person. I will always be anxious. I can't do anything because I'm anxious. But to sort of think about it as a collective experience. People collectively are more anxious now than they used to be. So how can we think about that? How can we change that? And so I try to make them think of these experiences that they're having, that they think of as very private experiences. I'm anxious, I'm depressed. As collective experience, you're all anxious. You're all scared of each other. Why are you like look around at each other, you know, like make eye contact. And and I and I think what what I don't know what schools can do to to to, to change that, but 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 because I I wouldn't envy the, the work of, of school teachers because it's very pressured, difficult work where you're juggling so many things, but it but if somehow we could get them to to yes feel experience their anxiety but understand that not as a just a personal kind of illness or condition but as a societal problem that we can get through by learning together by working together by life portrait drawing together by bird watching together then i think they would be able not just to have better results at university but more importantly 
have better experiences, you know, human experiences of the process of, of learning at, at, at that level. Mm, they so don't even go to the they don't even go to the students' union bars as much as they used to. They don't have sex as much as they used to. You know, it's it's kind of a a more a, a more structural problem of, mm. of really fearing other people their age, and that's one example I think where social media has been really toxic. I think they fear other people their age because of what they see on social media, not necessarily because of things that have actually happened face to face with other people their age mm. it's, yeah, it's interesting because again these are things that i've observed and before you we, we were talking i was talking to you talking to duncan who does this and i was like i was, like, I was, I was having those things about you know exactly those things and how do we engage our students a lot more and like you said the individualized process but also this be perfect idea and i, I think it's interesting like yeah. um I mean, how I personally resolve it as, a, as an A-level teacher is I don't actually give the grades back until I've gone through all the feedback and they work on their own work and they self-assess it. And then once we've done all of that, I then will see them individually to talk about the grades. But ultimately, I feel that sort of like, you know, you said not wanting to make a, a messy essay or make mistakes is then stopping them from the, the process of learning. And so it's almost like we have to go through the process of, of unlearning and I talk about this as students a lot like be comfortable with confusion like it's okay to, I'm more confused now about sociology than I was when I started my A-level studies because there are lots and that of is wonderful. theories yeah and I and I'm okay with that like and it took me to a point where I thought you know I had to be right but actually the more you learn there's more nuances between theories and complexities and and obviously theories are written in times where we I know we've spoken about but like the narrative of gender has been so much more discussed in the public field so that when I was reading it say in, in the 90s my understanding of it and some of my students understanding of it is far better than sophisticated it was yeah. when I was 17 years old so you know actually it, it's really rich just interesting I haven't said this I haven't really thought about this question but it was when you were talking do you notice a difference between is there a gender difference do you think around the anxiety of students I know I'm just putting on the spot there and I know it's probably just maybe you're just obviously I appreciate you might not be able to answer that but is there a gender? I think, I, I, I think I think there's several uh, differences. Um, uh, I think I mean we all, unfortunately, obviously, or maybe not unfortunately, or not obviously. I don't know. We most of our students are, are women, um, and so the, the 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 students who identify as men who will will come and do a degree with us, they're already like a very specific, a very specific kind of 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 masculinity uh they're not uh, in a sense representative of what masculinity would be so so my so 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 i think they're already handling anxiety or experiencing anxiety differently to other students but one of the things that i've noticed is that um is that i think i think a lot of our women students will let anxiety uh, what uh, the anxiety they experience will block will constrain them more i.e they're more likely to you know stop coming to things or not turning cameras on in online sessions or um, not come to events than the uh, than the students who identify as men but i think they're better able to talk about it and discuss it than than they are so so i i find that the the young the young the, the the students who identify as women that I teach, they um, they 
will be more timid, but they will find it easier to talk about problems and to get help for those problems. And, and the men's students, um, you know, they will put themselves out there a little bit more, but I think uh, have a much more uh, a much more hard time finding for example friendships in which they in the context of which they can talk about their experiences um or other spaces so we've actually set up a, a little discussion group for men's students because we felt that they were in a sense needing a bit more help actually get encountering each other connecting because there aren't that many of them and and many of the men students we have they're feminists so they don't want to come into a session and take up the space you know i talk about their problems because they're thinking well women may have it worse so let's th let the women talk but then that means that they then are not talking about some of their own experiences which need to be talked about you know so 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 much um so so we've actually set a little group up for them uh so that they can meet other men's students talk about these issues and that's been a really really interesting experience because you notice in those groups them sometimes starting to cry or or talking about experiences that they're discussing for the first time in their lives it's really fresh difficult stuff for them whereas a lot of the women students they will have talked about this before they're kind of more uh processed in their anxiety they've processed it more they understand it better does that make sense yeah because it's interesting we had, we had a conversation that not so long ago on the podcast about sort of the gender divide in in the sense that the students who take sociology are disproportionately female and we were talking about how do we also support our male students and encourage them to take sociology and feel comfortable about talking about feminism uh, because like you said they may identify as feminists but feel they can't contribute to a discussion around gender and feminism because they might not have the same lived experiences as the female students. Yeah. It's really interesting that you've created that group and that's something maybe you know, some of the people that have, I, I currently work in an all girls school, although there are male students in the sixth form. Um, it's interesting to sort of maybe look at that if you've got more of a mix within a school or a bigger also the sixth form colleges potentially where yeah. you've got a bigger mix that's, that's really something that i hadn't even thought about as an idea and I, th I think it's hear. a really it's we, we're piloting it this year i don't know if we'll continue and it's a really it's a difficult one to manage because you don't i know that some of the women students when they found out they were quite upset because they were sort of like well you know what's this like men only space and you know why are they getting this and we're not getting this so i think it has to be handled in a really in, you know careful sensitive critical way to sort of for, for that to be a space that um where um where you're undoing um some of the problems of masculinity rather than kind of uh, um uh, reinforcing stereotypes that are quite easy to reinforce in a space in an all-male space like this although it's not entirely male because i'm the one who runs it so so but um i think there's a lot of uh it raises up it opens lots of cans of worms but that's sociology right that's the whole point i often say if there's no cans of worms you're doing it wrong you know there's no dilemmas if you know what you're doing, you're doing it wrong because this stuff is messy, it's complicated. And as soon as you fix one problem over here, you open up a new problem over there. And that's why I love it. That's why I think, you know, I've been studying sociology for, I guess, 23 years. And just like you, I'm still like, oh my gosh, there's a new new issue now that I haven't thought about. And I love that. What other field, other job allows you to do that? And, and that's also why I love teaching because 
the young people that we're encountering are changing all the time, you know, and that's yeah. new challenges, new things to think about. Well, that's one of my questions. I wanted to, because obviously your, spe your specialist area is gender uh, and gender identity. Um, and I've had and lots of teachers, we, you know, gender is a core theme within the sociology A level, uh, and obviously feminism is, and I've chosen also to do cultural identity, which has a real sort of emphasis on, on gender identity. Um, and I'd really like to sort of pick your brains on how we do teach some of the complexities around gender, because I know that we've spoken before and our students' narrative of gender is, is a lot more enhanced than, say, my, I mean, like you said, we talked about this before, but we might have had those thoughts, but there wasn't the vocabulary to understand them back in, say, the 1990s or, or whenever people were studying. Um, but then at the same time, those students have the narrative. They may not fully understand the narrative. Like my students talk about, obviously, toxic masculinity and they talk about male gaze, but they have sort of an element of a, nothing critiquing YouTube or TikTok. I would call it the tickety talk to the students because I just joke, I go, oh, the tickety talk, um, snappy chat. Um, but like they had that understanding, but it's a little bit just off slightly, a little yeah. bit yeah. Yeah, I agree. consumer friendly. So, how do we, I mean, how is you as a feminist sociologist empower our students to talk about gender, but at the same time, what the challenges around that, the misconceptions, and how can we we go about addressing that a little bit? So it's a bit of a big question there, but very big question yeah how much time do we have left um I, I I think you're absolutely right there's a lot of misconceptions and I think the the problem for me is not so much oh that there's a factual inaccuracy that you correct it's it's the it's the the the, the the way that they approach it in general, i.e., because they a lot they've encountered a lot of this through social media, often in spaces where these things are presented as this is the correct way to do this. So this is the correct way to use pronouns, or this is the correct vocabulary to use, or this is the correct way to think, not just about gender, but for example, race, right? And so so that my worry is not so much that they have incorrect ideas, is that they believe that they, that these things are correct and these things are incorrect and so we've had really interesting situations in my teaching i i, t I used to teach a first class mod uh, sorry first year also a first class of course first year module on of sociology of gender. <laughs> oh, well, a superb module um first first year module on sociology of gender and we had a really interesting um situation in one year where one of the people teaching it with me it, it was is a trans colleague and you had um, then some of the students who were cis students sort of correcting other cis students about how, what is the correct trans terminology, but in a way that was sort of like against what the trans lecturer was saying. And the trans lecturer was saying, look, you know, right now, this is the terminology that you use, but two years ago, it was a different terminology 20 years ago it was a different terminology and people's own identities have been shaped in relation to those other terminologies so you you don't get she, and, and that colleague actually said it in a really funny way she said you don't as an 18 year old you don't get to come in and say all these other all this other history is erased because we now use this language and so so you've got these really interesting situations where they're very good at understanding the current complexities, but they're not always very good at understanding the historical development of those, understand the dilemmas that, 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 have, uh, that have surround these ideas. And they're very attached to sometimes correcting each other or being scared to say things incorrectly, so not saying very much. 
So what I would say um, is at the moment the students know so much more than they used to um, know when they arrive at university. But that actually makes my job harder sometimes because they come in knowing a lot and feeling very certain in what they know. I've had students say, well, I've already studied gender or feminism. I don't need to take the, your module. I say, I, I think you might need to take my module because they, they come in with lots of knowledge, great knowledge, and I want to celebrate that and really honor that and validate it. But also I want to unpack the hell out of it, you know, really deconstruct it and say, okay, so yes, you think intersectionality is great, but like, let's look at the complexities of that. Or yes, you know this, you, you know that this is the right terminology that we use right now, but what is the history of that? And, and how might it change in the future? And what are the problems of being so confident that we, everything is clear about gender now? Because if things are very, in very much in flux they're very, very much changing so so to so it is a really difficult art i think for us at university for for, for you at a level to to celebrate the knowledge that they have and yet encourage them to not stay stuck to that to ask more questions to dig deeper to be more critical and to understand that these are fields and issues that you don't learn once and for all you keep revisiting as society changes as, as these things uh, unfold, as you grow older as well. Yeah, I, mean, I literally I, I literally had this conversation yesterday. I've got a, bought a little sign that has five whys on it, <laughs> like just, it just says the word five times, and I hold it up, you know, just to sort of, encourage, but what, just, and I don't even know the answer myself. Like that's the point of the conversation, but why, but why, but why? And um, I was talking about feminism, and I was like, well, imagine you were part of the first wave feminism movement you might have thought that's it we're sorted do you know what I mean just as much as the second wave and so on and so and then sometimes I was trying to explain like exactly this they might think right now that's it we've got it intersectionality but there's going to be another wave do you know what I mean and there'll mm. be another debate and they'll look back and go wow did they just think it was all sorted then um and so on and so on so it's really great to hear this from you as well as a sociology teacher that's working in a, in a degree setting to see that those you know it's how important to have those conversations so i think sometimes i know sometimes i personally get worried because i know it's not going to be assessed on our exam for the a level but at the same time like going back to our first question which is why is it important to teach sociology and for me it isn't about teaching to pass an exam like it's, it's more than that it's about critical thinking it's discussions is to have an understanding of the messy, messy world that we live in and these people are going to go off hopefully and live engaged lives and participate in life and so you know passing an exam is just one part of it but sociology is so much more important i've got i'm conscious of time but I want, i've got two questions my first question which might take a little bit longer and i appreciate it as i say it i'm like oh obviously you, your research method is ethnography yeah. And obviously we read a lot about ethnography through yeah. our textbooks and looking at my, my A-level textbooks. But what is it really like? Because we talk about this in sociology, the issues, pets, the practical, ethical, theoretical problems. So I would tell you it is the most exhausting thing I have ever had to do in my life. Now I'm thinking, well, is it more exhausting <laughs> than parenting? And, you know, anyway, so, but, so maybe I'm exaggerating, but it, I was not prepared when I did it both with young people and with adults, um, how exhausting it was going to be because 
it made me realize how in how much of our life is spent um um not necessarily an automatic pilot but kind of only half paying attention to things you know i would have considered myself a very diligent student that paid attention but i realized that you know you you in even the most attentive person you know, your mind wanders every once in a while, you looked over to the other side, you kind of your brain, you know, uh, rests for a little bit. And when you're doing ethnography, especially in a school, especially when you're interested in, in interactions between students, that means that you're uh, and you're observing a large group of people. Uh, then that means there's always something potentially happening, right? And you're always, and to 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 think about what you're going to have to, for dinner for one minute is enough to like lose the whole thread of an interaction that then you're not able to understand or to analyze. So the 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 act of paying attention, the act of taking notes, the act of when you can't take notes of remembering, often like the exact trying to remember the exact words that fourteen year olds have said to each other before you can record it somewhere is just i mean unbelievably i would be so tired by the end of the day and then again at universities you know i would be observing conferences and and classroom settings and and meetings and again i realize how often in my day-to-day -day life i just stop paying attention in a meeting and then just kind of come back into it but but when you are having to pay attention all the time and and so i I think ethnography is a fascinating thing to get people to do, even if it's just for 15 minutes, for an, an hour. I sometimes ask my students to do this, you know, sit somewhere for two hours and, and pay attention. And I think it's a really interesting exercise in, in realizing something about the world, you know, stuff that's happening around you, but also realizing what your brain is like, how you interact with the world and how easy it is to uh, not notice things, to, to walk around in, uh, on automatic pilot. And so, and, and so I love um, ethnography as a way of doing that really important sociological thing of looking at the world fresh, you know, with new eyes, asking new questions, including those why questions that are so important. So I'm oh, ethnography geek. I'm like, I used to say that when I did my first ethnography, I said this was too exhausting. I don't want to do ethnographies again. I'll just do interviews or something else. And one day I realized I, I had ended up doing an ethnography. And I say, ethnography, you can't, ethnography chooses you. You don't choose ethnography. It's like when, when you, even when you don't want to do it, um, it it's, can be so, so fascinating that you find yourself caught in its web. Oh, no, I'm, I'm personally I've never actually used it as a research method. I've always done interviews, but um, I feel like naturally I I do. I mean, if, as we think about like I don't know, twelve year old Katie, I was always like at a restaurant or I don't know. Even when I used to go clubbing back in the back in the day, back in the nineties, as you did, I would always be inside inside outside, and I'd be watching and observing the interactions between people. And I used, I used to find particularly the dating scene quite an interesting one to watch oh, and the sort of yeah. the, the codes and oh, just yeah and I, and I find myself like people going why are you not dancing was, to me it's just so rich with the mating game as such it was so yeah. so interesting to watch and the interactions and there's particularly in a, sort of the non-verbal as well because obviously with the loud music but yeah, yeah. um and if i and if i can just add one more thing i think young people are naturally ethnographers right and children because they are having to pay attention observe the patterns the rules so i've noticed you know that the young people who i did the ethnography with they were 14 at the time 
and that was a few years ago now that was 17 years ago so i i did the ethnography with them at 14 but then when they were 24 so 10 years later i i searched for them found them and interviewed them and then i'll interview them again at 34 44 oh, wow. and so on and so forth um and one of the things i noticed straight away was when I spoke to them as 24 year olds, they were a lot less able. So I, when I spoke to them as 14 year olds, they were much better able to, to say, oh, I noticed this and I observed that and I found this pattern. When they were 24, they were already much more an automatic pilot. So even so those teenage years are, are crucial ethnography years where they're doing it anyway. So, so to, to sort of teach them or use, to show them how they can use it in a more methodical way is really fascinating because I think we do lose those capacities as we grow older. You know, our, our brains are just not the sponges that they are when we're younger. Mm, I suppose we normalise things as well. So when you sort of see when yeah, you're young, you're yeah, a bit absolutely. more, it's all new experiences. But then what's interesting and unusual and unfamiliar becomes the familiar, I suppose, in that respect. And my last absolutely. question, because I could talk to you for literally ever. I might, you know, well, live my best life, apply again for an undergraduate and and, and come on to your course. You know where or to find like, us, uk. <laughs> well, that was my last question. When are your, do you know off the top of your head when your open days are? If not, I can put them on a link Ooh, on space. Well, at the moment, we, we've got a few coming up, but they're the, the, the post-application ones. So they're the ones for people who've already applied. Um, but... Um, we oh, about if you give me two seconds i can search for that right now uh it, we, we will have some coming up very very soon um and they're great fun uh so apparently it's uh in in the second half of june and mm -hmm. and then in october so 17th wow. june 24th of june and then the 7th and the 21st of october and i'd really recommend you know um, yeah, um, coming to coming to visit us, but also what I would say is, if your school teachers uh, with, ki with 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 kids, they're not kids, with young people interested in thinking about sociology, we're also very happy to you know have you visit us uh, and do some activities with us wow. or come and visit your schools. Um, we're really so myself and so many of our colleagues. We really enjoy, you know, working with with young people. And I always say they they are so much more excited by us than our own students. Our students are like, yeah, whatever. Maria's not fun anymore. But the <laughs> but the the the, the seventeen year olds they're like, wow, Maria's amazing. So even if it's just for our own ego, please <laughs> bring us your students. Take us to your students. And we've we've in fact we 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 I also run a thing called the Center for the Study. Of women and gender and precisely because gender is much more on the agenda now we're increasingly getting uh, uh, contacts from schools saying our students want to set up a feminist club or a feminist whatever uh, can you come can you be involved so we've actually created a little pool of PhD students, MA students, staff who want to come to schools and do things with schools so right. we're ready for your for your invitations Oh, definitely. I mean, I've already sort of contacted you as well, ready to speak to my students. I know that they do want to, lots of them do now want to apply to Warwick from speaking to you. Um, and it sort of raises aspirations as well for students as well. And also, I think what they really like is that you're, you're a real life sociologist. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, oh, that's, that's what they took away from it. I mean, we had a, they had a really good discussion, but also I think it's nice for them to see that sociologists aren't just, they're not, not, alive basically um so actually it was really exciting so i'm um, you'll be you'll be maybe like worried now you said that you'll probably have loads of like emails in your inbox going hello, hello well we'll hello. see 
we'll see how <laughs> how popular your podcast is. It'll be a nice test of uh, the popularity of your podcast and of uh, my my contribution to it. Oh, thank you for your time, and I will definitely be in touch again. I wish I lived nearer to Warwick because that would be like for my students would be amazing to come to. But um, but obviously the great thing about the virtual world when it's working is that we can sort of make these connections this way. Um, thank you for your time as thank always you. and your your genuine enthusiasm for sociology. And I, I love it that it doesn't it doesn't disappear. That's sort of, it's almost like, you know, sometimes you think, oh, is there a lecture? They might not be like, oh, you know, because when I think when I was at university, it was like someone reading from like a piece of paper that didn't look up from this <laughs> from there. Oh no, um, no we, we we try to be different now and uh, and I I couldn't even just read from a paper because I just get so excited. So uh so and then take up too long. That is my big problem in lectures and I guess in podcasts is I, I talk for too long. So thank you for having thank me. Thank you, thank you, and have a good time. day. Thank you, thank, thank you. you for your day, thank you for your time. And I love your wallpaper by the way. <laughs> See you, bye bye. Thank you. Thank you. The Sociology Stuff Room is brought to you by tutor to you Sociology. Find us at tutor2u.net forward slash sociology or follow us on Twitter at tutor2usoc or Instagram at tutor2usoc. You can also join our very lively Facebook groups for sociology teachers. See you soon.